Well, it's good to be together to serve the Lord and uh, to see the folks who are uh, here with us. We are delighted to have you uh, both uh, in the flesh and those who could join us on Zoom. We're very grateful uh, to, to have you. And even though these circumstances are, are very much what I'm sure many of us would not prefer, we trust that this is exactly what the Lord has for us. And he knows what he's doing, even if we can't quite see it. My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders. And uh, I am encouraged with what I have to bring to you today. I'm confident that that I have a word for you from the Lord today, which is exactly what he wants you and me to hear this week. We come this week to the tail end of Luke's biography of Jesus. It's worth reminding ourselves of the very beginning of the book where Luke stated his purpose in writing. Let me read to you verses 3 and 4 of Luke chapter 1, where the author says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You see, Luke wrote this book because he wanted this Roman official, Theophilus, to have certainty regarding the things he had heard about Christianity. And so all along this way, as we've trekked through this book, Luke has presented his arguments. He has cited his sources. He's named his eyewitnesses. Because Christianity is on trial and Luke is prepared to defend this fledgling movement. Now that we come to the book's end, there are a few ideas he really wants to drive home. He wants you to have certainty regarding the things you've been taught. And Luke has hinted at some of these things already earlier in the book, but he will be really open and really, really clear right now. These four things are no small matters either. They, they make the difference between life and death. They make the difference between heaven and hell. They make the difference between whether someone recognizes the true God or they remain stuck with their own conception of a false God. These four things that we will walk through are that Jesus is not simply a spirit or an idea in the hearts of his people. You can be certain of the fact of resurrection. And second, you can be certain that the central point of the Old Testament is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And third, you can be certain that the central point of the New Testament is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And fourth, we'll see that you can be certain that Jesus is to be worshipped as the God of new creation. This is where we're going. Let me pray for us once again and ask God to bless our time together. 
Our Father, please open our minds that we might understand the scriptures and that we might hear Jesus's voice here for us today. Help us now and may we grow in loving and worshiping the true God, Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, who along uh, together with the Father and the Spirit is to be worshipped and glorified world without end. Amen. The first thing you can be certain of is the fact of resurrection. The fact of resurrection. In other words, Luke, here at the end of his book, he wants to make it extraordinarily clear that Jesus is not a hallucination. He is not a vision. And he is emphatically not just a memory in the hearts of his followers. Read with me Luke 24, verses 36 through 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Friends, look at what Luke has to tell us here. He is emphatic. In verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them. In verse 37, they they thought they saw a spirit. In 38, he recognizes their doubts. And so in verse 39, he invites them to take hold of him. He explicitly denies being a spirit as he has flesh and bones. And he shows them and he invites them to touch. In verse 40, these aren't just words. He he invites them to take a look. He shows them. In 41, they still disbelieve from joy. This is too good to be true. And yet they are marveling. And so you see what he does? In verse 41, he really gets down to earth and he just asks them if they have a snack. So they give it to him in verse 42. And wonder of wonders, verse 43, he actually eats it right in front of them. Maybe it seems like I'm belaboring an obvious point or that Luke is, but friends, it is crucial that we get this right. Because for generations, there have been many so-called thinkers who have just cannibalized what the Bible has to say on this topic. There are some people who will look at you with a straight face And profess that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then they go on to explain that what they mean is that his teaching or his spirit rose in the hearts of his followers. 
And whenever they remembered him, that memory was the evidence of his resurrection. You can go on campus and find people who claim to be serious-minded intellectuals who will spout this drivel at you. And such disrespectful and ridiculous falsehood, it really is drivel. It couldn't be further from what the Bible actually says. Friends, if that was what Luke meant, that the resurrection of Jesus was, it was a spiritual thing. It was just his memory that they carried on. He never would have mentioned an angel up in verse six. We heard about, read this a few weeks ago. An angel saying that he has risen. You see, everybody knew back then what the word risen meant and what the word resurrection meant. And in the entire body of first century Near Eastern literature at this time, you can look at the entire body of literature and not once does anybody use the term resurrection or risen to refer to the memory of a dearly departed loved one. Not once. No, the terms risen and resurrection mean one thing. It means that the body that had medically expired with the life completely gone out of it, which was laid in a tomb, it was now once again walking around, breathing the air, smelling the roses, and whistling a tune. That's what resurrection means, and everybody knew it. Apparently, it also means that you snack on bits of seafood. This is what resurrection is. We should notice that Luke makes his case for the bodily resurrection of Jesus in two parts. In this chapter, in chapter 24, first at the beginning of chapter 24, Luke recounted for us evidence for the empty tomb. They went to the tomb. Many people went to the tomb and it was empty. There was no body there. And then uh, second, now in the rest of the chapter, he recounts the evidence for Jesus's post-mortem appearances. That is, after he died, he's actually now appearing to people and they see him walking around. Both pieces of evidence are, both pieces of this case are needed in order to argue for the fact of resurrection. You need the empty tomb and you need the appearances. Either one of those two things alone would not itself prove sufficient for the disciples' belief that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. If all they had was an empty tomb, then they would be looking for grave robbers or maybe a wrong address. We're at the wrong tomb or some other misplacing of the body. If that was all they had was an empty tomb. If all they had was post-mortem appearances of Jesus, then they really would wonder if they were hallucinating or seeing ghosts because the body's still in there. You see, people weren't stupid back then. They really weren't stupid. They knew just as well as we do that dead people are dead. This wasn't a surprise to them. 
you know, th- this was objectively verifiable fact. It, it was how life worked. They knew that dead people don't sit up and they don't walk on the road. They don't visit you for dinner. So if they knew that the body was still in the tomb, they wouldn't trust these appearances of him. But you see, both of them together fit. It ought to get our attention, actually, that Jesus of Nazareth was not the only ancient Jew to claim to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the Chosen One. He wasn't the only one. In fact, there were many dozens of such would-be messiahs who had been capturing Israel's attention for a few centuries. And there were even more to come for a while after Jesus was gone. But you see, every single one of the others, the others who claimed to be the messiah, every single one of them died. Every one. And when they died... Their armies were disbanded in disappointment and their movements fizzled out. Not a single one of them produced a movement of followers claiming that their leader had risen from the dead because we remember his teaching. Not a single one. They all just fizzled out because there was not either an empty tomb or credible appearances after death. With those two elements together in the testimony about Jesus, the empty tomb, and the post-mortem appearances, the only conclusion his followers could draw was that he really rose from the dead just like he said he would. Now, why does it even matter? Why, Why does Luke make such a big deal out of this? Why am I making such a big deal of this? Why is it so critical that we understand and believe the truth that Jesus snacked on a piece of fish after he died and rose. Friends, it's because if that's true, it means that everything else he said was true as well. It means that God had come to earth to be with his people. It means that God's kingdom on heaven in heaven had been brought to earth. It means that the exile of God's people was finally at an end. It means that their sins could be forgiven if they would only believe. And it means that all the sad things from their history were finally becoming untrue. How does this apply? The fact of resurrection. First, please trust that Jesus was not simply a spirit or an idea in the hearts of his people. He did what he said he would do. He did all that he said he would do. So you can trust he wasn't just an idea. Second, please trust that this is all for real. Trust that this is all for real. Heaven has finally come to earth. God's new creation has begun and you get to be a part of it if you will only believe. And so therefore, friends, please be encouraged. Be encouraged because Jesus was not simply a spirit, but a resurrected person in the body. You need to understand that means that he remains so. A resurrected person in a body 
a man. He remains so now and forever. He will never die again. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. You see, there is a man, there is a human sitting in heaven right now at God's right hand. And he is pleading with his father for your life and for your eventual resurrection to be with him. You see, this is earth shattering. For a long time in my Christian life, I thought of Jesus right right now. Like, if you asked me, where is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What is Jesus right now? I would have said, oh, he's something like, he's a spirit in the sky. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is real, but he's, he's, I have this idea of him, he's a spirit. But, and we need to understand that, that yes, Jesus has a spirit, He's called the Holy Spirit, and, and he is everywhere all the time, and he lives inside of believers, calling them from death to life. But Jesus, the man, rose from the dead in his body, never to die again. He took on humanity in order to rescue humanity. And it is now he who is the true and fullest human, who is now as the head of the new creation, He sits as the new humanity of citizens, the head of this new humanity made up of citizens of God's kingdom. So though your life may be crazy and may seem out of control right now, please be encouraged that there is a man in heaven pleading with the Father on your behalf and ruling over heaven and earth until all his enemies will be put under his feet. The first thing Luke wants you to be certain about is the fact of resurrection. The second thing he wants you to be certain about is the point of the Old Testament. The point of the Old Testament. Verse 44. Then he, this is still Jesus talking. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Let me stop there. Jesus reminds them now in verse 44 of what he spoke while he was ministering with them. He says that everything must be fulfilled. And everything written must be fulfilled. And what were those things written? They were the things written in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's referring to the three sections of the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. The way they organized the books, they put them in these three groups, the law, the prophets, and uh, the writings of which the Psalms was the, the largest and most significant book. So those were the things written. And what does he say that they say? Well, he says they are about me. They were written about me. And so how do they speak of him? Verse 45, he opens their minds to see all of it from a 30,000 foot view. And he shows them that the Old Testament speaks about the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. The Old Testament speaks about him in four ways. Verses 46 and 47. First, the Messiah should suffer. 
Number, number two, the Messiah should rise from the dead. Number three, his death, from verse 47, his death and resurrection make repentance and forgiveness of sins possible. And fourth, this message is for everybody and must be proclaimed to all nations. So the Messiah must suffer. The Messiah must rise from the dead. Repentance and forgiveness of sins is possible. And everybody needs to know about it. That's his summary of the Old Testament. And notice his progression here. All three sections of the Hebrew Bible, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, what we call the Old Testament, it all speaks to these four things. And then Jesus himself spoke about these things before his death. That's how he started. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. Last week, Dan did a great job showing us some specifics, and he dove in to show us how the Old Testament spoke about Jesus. We looked at Genesis 3 and the story of Abraham and some of the prophecies of Isaiah. And we could add some other prominent examples, such as the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus, or the nations streaming into Jerusalem in in Zechariah for something from the prophets. And we could go to the Psalms and see the chosen king of Israel suffering unto death in Psalm 22 and rising from the grave in Psalm 16 and proclaiming repentance and forgiveness in Psalm 32. You see, these are in the Old Testament, but please understand Jesus' point and Luke's point here. He is not saying that there are a few key passages scattered throughout the Old Testament that speak about Jesus. No, no, no. What he is saying is that the entire collection of Old Testament books has this end in mind to proclaim the suffering and resurrection of Jesus, God's chosen one, to offer forgiveness to those who turn from sin and to draw together by this message people from every nation, tribe, and language on the planet. How does this apply? You see, the point of the Old Testament is the death and resurrection of Jesus and its effects. How does this apply? Friends, whenever you read the Old Testament, please don't just look for morality stories of examples to follow, and don't just look for inspirational poetry. Now, there are morality stories, and there is inspirational poetry. I'm not saying those things aren't there. But I'm saying don't look only for those things. Look for Jesus. Because you will not understand what you have read, you will get the morality and the inspiration wrong until you see Jesus on every page. So the second thing Luke wants you to be certain of is the point of the Old Testament, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus, providing forgiveness to all people everywhere. The third thing Luke wants you to be certain of is the point of the New Testament. This risen Jesus continues speaking to his disciples in verses 48 and 49. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay, so verse 48, Jesus proclaims that these 
men and women here with him, they are now witnesses of these things. What are these things that they are witnesses of? Certainly, it includes the resurrection appearance itself, the touching of his body, the, the eating of the fish. They've witnessed that. But, but more directly, remember, the sentences right before this, Jesus was just telling them about the whole point of the, the Old Testament. He said that all three sections of the Hebrew Scriptures spoke to those four parts of Jesus' work. And Jesus himself spoke while with them to those four parts of his work. And so now he tells them in 48 that they themselves must speak to those four parts of his work. His suffering, his resurrection, his forgiveness, and his inclusion of all people everywhere. As Luke, the, the, the narrator, presents this evidence to his, his reader, the Roman official named Theophilus, what Luke is doing right here in verse 48 and 49 is he is describing the launching point of the Christian movement. Right here. This is where it gets off the ground. Everything else was preparing for this. It started with this group of men and women who had been close to Jesus, and they would go out and speak. They would bear witness of these things far and wide. And even beyond that, some of them would write it all down. Matthew, John, and Peter would have been present there when Jesus said, you are witnesses of these things. Maybe also James and Jude were there as well. These are, are men who all would write or directly influence one or more books explaining these things about Jesus to new Christians. As we wrap up Luke, we, we are preparing to undertake our next sermon series where we're going to continue into Luke's second volume, the book of Acts. We're going to take a few weeks off for some uh, just individual sermons, but then we'll, we'll start our next series in the book of Acts. And in Acts, we'll meet another guy named Paul who comes along like one who is untimely born. He wasn't here in this moment. But he'll come along and he will also receive the commission directly from Jesus to bear witness to these things about him. And so all together, what these eyewitnesses wrote down for us, as they bore witness to these things, we call that the New Testament. In verse 49, they bear this witness to Jesus only by the promise and power of God the Father. You see, he says... He says, I'm sending the promise and wait until you're clothed with power from on high. They can bear witness only by the promise of the Father and the power of the Father. And Luke will explain more in the, his next volume, in, in part two, the book of Acts, uh, that where we will intimately get to know in that book the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is interchangeably referred to in Acts as both the promise of the Father, and the power from on high. He is the one who will take up residence within these followers of Jesus, and he will cause some of them to record the very words of God for our salvation and our equipping. So how does this apply? Friends, the point of the New Testament 
is about these four things, the death and resurrection of Jesus and its effects. And so whenever you read the New Testament, please don't look only for ethical instruction or theological dogma. Now, those things are present. I'm not saying they're not there. You'll get ethics and you'll get theology. But don't only look for those things. Please, look for Jesus. When you read the New Testament, look for Jesus because you will not understand either the ethics or the theology. You will not get those things right until you see Jesus on every page. If you're not yet a Christian and you would like to know more about Jesus, I dare you to read the Bible. Just read the Bible. Where should you start? People often ask me, where should I start? And I think the best place to start is with whichever book of the Bible interests you the most. Because every single one of them will tell you about Jesus. Either by looking ahead to his arrival or by looking back to reflect on what he had done. So just pick whichever one interests you and get started. That is the best way to learn about Jesus. Absolutely the best way to learn about who he was, what he taught, and what he thought he was doing. So the third thing Luke wants you to be certain of is the point of the New Testament, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus providing forgiveness to all people everywhere. Now, the fourth thing, the final thing here that Luke wants you to be certain of is the God of new creation. Luke now ties things up in his last few verses, leaving us in great anticipation of great things to come in the second volume of his history of the early Christian movement. Let me read it. Verses 50 to 53. And he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. It's a powerful scene if you take the time to notice what it dares to suggest. In verse 50, we're told that Jesus leads them out, lifts his hands, and blesses them. And for those reading this, and with the connections Luke has been setting through the book, this language, leading them out, lifting his hands, blessing them, this language sounds a lot like Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, where everything got started, where God creates heaven and earth and the world, and he leads the man and woman into the garden he made for them, and he blesses them. And he commands them to be fruitful and multiply. The language here is evocative of those texts. And remember, we already told that it was all about Jesus. And so now here we see what this means. And you notice that Luke here is putting Jesus into that story in the place of the creator God who blesses the the new humanity that he just created. And the disciples recognize that fact because you see verse 52, what do they do? 
They worshipped him. You don't worship someone who's only a man. You see, they recognize that they are face to face with the God who creates. And so they return to Jerusalem with great joy. And in verse 53, they are found continually in the temple. And this provides a bookend. Luke ends his book the same way he began. If you go back and read chapter 1, or maybe you remember, the very first scene in the book begins in the temple in Jerusalem. And at the beginning, we had an old priest in the temple praying and offering incense and waiting to hear from God. And that old priest was rendered unable to speak because he would not believe the words that God was speaking about salvation. And now here we are at the end of the book, and we're back in the temple, not with an old priest, but with perhaps a few dozen young adults. And they can't stop talking about God's salvation. They are in continually in the temple, blessing God. You see, from the beginning of the book to its ending, Luke has described the process of taking old things and making them new. He has shown us the process of undoing the old way of doing things to make way for the new, causing the old creation to die so it could be resurrected anew with Jesus. And here Jesus is standing as the God of this new creation, the God who has spoken things into existence. And he pronounces a new blessing and he receives the worship of his people with great Joy. You can be certain that in meeting Jesus, you have come face to face with the God of new creation. How does this apply? What impact ought this to have on us? Friends, please hope in resurrection. Hope in resurrection. That's your application. Hope in resurrection. Because the bodily resurrection of Jesus is proof, it's evidence that he is who he says he is. And it also shows us that his business is the business of making old things new. It is the business of launching a new creation that far outdoes the old one. And so we can hope in resurrection. What does that look like? How do you do that? Well, this season, I imagine, has been a very stressful season for every one of us. And probably for different reasons. As many different reasons as we have people here. I don't think any one of us would have wished a year ago that 2020 would look like this. Some of you probably wish that you didn't have to watch this from Zoom far away. I don't even know if you can see my pointing fingers or my facial expressions. But I I promise you, I'm here in the flesh. Touch me and look, see, I'm not a a spirit. Somebody have some fish. I could use some fish right now. Some of you wish you didn't have to watch this from Zoom and we could just get back to normal. Some of you probably wish that the virus would just go away. Some of you wish that you didn't have to sit here with a mask on your face. 
Some of you would like to be done with online classes. Or you'd like to be done with telework. I'm sick of these things. I'm sick of staring at a computer screen. Some of you would just like to get your job back. You know, things were working great before this season hit. Some of you wish you could have peace and quiet with respect to the election. We can't stop hearing about it. Or maybe you wish you could have some peace and quiet with respect to racial reconciliation or judicial confirmations or public health crises or whatever it is. Friends, wherever you are, and regardless of what saddens you or angers you or depresses you, please understand that Jesus is the God of new creation. On that first Easter Sunday, he did something the world had never seen. And on that day, he began a process that cannot be stopped until everything has been completed. He is making all things new. He is reuniting heaven and earth in his own body. He is showing us how much of what uh, of the stuff that is around us or near us or even inside of us. He's showing us how much of that must die so that new life can sprout and new buds can form and a new kingdom can flourish. You know what it means to hope in resurrection? It means that when you look at the world right now and the stresses in your life and whatever it might be that saddens you or angers you or depresses you, you can look at that and you see what God is doing through Jesus Christ. He's doing what he said he would do, which is that he is shaking up everything we have ever trusted in so that the only thing that would remain is his unshakable kingdom. When you hope in resurrection, you can see that that is what Jesus is doing right now in your life, in our church, in our town, at our university, in our state, in our world, in our generation. He is shaking everything because there is one thing that cannot be shaken and will never be shaken and is steadfast and immovable, and it will grow and grow and grow like that mustard seed into the giant tree until all the birds of the heavens find shade under its branches and all his enemies have been put under his feet. And you can hope in resurrection because that's what resurrection means. That's where we are heading. So please, please, please let us worship Jesus with great joy and let us be continually in his presence blessing god forever because of this text and god's word to us today you can be certain that jesus is not simply a spirit or an idea in the hearts of his people his body rose from the dead and is now sitting in heaven at god's right hand You can be certain that the central point of the Old Testament is the death and resurrection of Jesus and how that brings forgiveness for all people everywhere. And the central point of the New Testament, you can be certain, 
It's the death and resurrection of Jesus, which brings forgiveness to all people everywhere who repent. And therefore, friends, you can be certain that Jesus is to be worshipped as the God of this new creation. Please pray with me now as we worship him together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we bow the knee to you and we worship you. You are our God together with the Father and the Holy Spirit. You, Jesus, have risen from the dead. All that you said has come true. And everything sad is becoming untrue as you work your purposes in us. And Lord, it doesn't feel like it. We can't see it in our lives. Please give us eyes of faith to see your unshakable kingdom and help us to stop trusting in all of these other things that sadden and anger us. Help us to be one of one mind and one purpose for your kingdom because of your death and resurrection. Jesus, we love you. You are our only God. In your name we pray these things. Amen.